I appreciated uh, as we uh, sang this song, the composer of the song had a little note in the beginning that I, I, I saw. He said, um, he talks about the importance of hanging on to Christ and the rock of ages. And his last sentence says, So this is not intended to be just a playful, entertaining song. Sing it from the depth of your voice and your soul. And this is to those singing it. Minister to your listeners to lead them to the rock. Isn't that great? Hold on to the rock. Speaking of another great song of the ages, how many of you learned Father Abraham uh, as, a, as a kid? You know, Father Abraham had many sons. Uh, and then uh, I am one of them. So are you. So, so, and then it's right arm, left arm, and you kind of go through all the motions to stuff like that. Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. Right arm, left arm, left foot, chin up, turn around, sit down. We're not going to actually do it. I know some of you are seriously disappointed right now, but I've always wondered about that line, Father Abraham had many sons. Well, I kind of thought, you know, when you learn the Bible story, that Abraham had one son named Isaac. Well, if you read a little close, you realize he actually did have two sons. He only had one son with Sarah, his wife, but he had a son with, uh, with Hagar, Ishmael. But that's just two sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. But actually, when you look at the scripture, and this is one of those things we talked about this morning at the 9 o'clock hour, that actually after Sarah died, Abraham remarried, and he married a woman named Keturah, and they had five more sons. One of them, they think, might have been a daughter. But anyway, it says many sons. Some versions, actually, the way I learned it was Father Abraham had seven sons. And when you count Isaac and Ishmael and the five sons of Keturah, there were seven sons. Reminder that uh, when Sarah died, it was after, of course, um, they had waited so long for a baby to be born. And um, uh, that Sarah's name, actually, when they named baby Isaac, uh, it meant um, laughter, (laughs) which was sort of funny about the whole thing. But anyway... Another part of that song says, uh, many sons, I am one of them, and so are you. I am one of them, and so are you. Father Abraham had many sons, which, sorry, leaves you daughters out, but I have one of them, and so are you. Now, the Hebrews were considered the children of Abraham, but when we consider this promise and the promise that God would bless all nations through him, we are all descendants of Abraham in one way or another. We are children of Abraham in the sense of living out of faith and living into this blessing. But there was just really one son of the promise that God worked through as he worked through Abraham to bless the nations, and that is Isaac, whose name means laughter, and yet who was the one through whom the promise came. It's part of the bigger story that many of us are reading as we're working our way through Genesis, Exodus, uh, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy these next eight weeks. We're catching already just in this first week sort of the drama of all of the events, of, a, of sort of the good news of creation and the, the bad news of the fall, the good news of that family growing, the bad news of the murder, the good news of God blessing and forgiving even when his children do really stupid things in the early verses of Scripture. God continues to bless his people and his story moves on. Uh, we found at our 9 o'clock hour that it almost raises more questions than answers and yet it helps us kind of marvel at this incredible working of God and the love of God that persists even through the faults and the failures and the evil that shows up in the very beginning. And as we look at this story, we see that the person of Christ actually is prefigured all the way really back in the very beginning. As far back as Genesis 3.15, after the temptation of Adam and Eve in the garden and the fall into sin, God says to the, the serpent, the serpent, that, that there is one coming who will bruise your heel, but he, you will bruise his heel, but you will, he will crush your head. You will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. That's said to be the first indication of the gospel all the way back in the third chapter of Genesis. 
But with Father Abraham, God is forming a people. He is forming him to be the father of a nation. God tells him over and over again, he makes this covenant, this promise with him, that he will be a nation through whom his promises will come. He will be the father of a great nation. The blessing will come. And childless with Sarah until he is 100 and she is 90. And finally, this son, this one who is called laughter, is born. And as we read, we see that that promise is actually what we call a covenant. Um, the name of our denomination, we don't have a corner in the market on that name, by the way. Covenant's a much deeper uh, name than that. It meant an agreement, a gathering together. In fact, the name of our, our denomination came from, from Swedish immigrants who bound together and covenanted together to be stronger in mission together than they were apart. That's where the name comes from. But this covenant goes all the way back, the covenant with Noah, and now this covenant with Abraham, which is more like a contract or, or an agreement of sorts between God and Abraham. God says, I will bless you and all people through you, but Abraham, you will also trust God and obey him. So there's two parts of this, of, of God's gift and blessing and Abraham's response and obedience and following. And today's story is one of the most significant, really, in the Bible. The story in which faith, that Abraham's faith is tested. And when he is called to sacrifice his one and only son, this son of the promise. And even in the story of sacrifice and offering, we can see Jesus. And that's what we're going to look for now. This is what we're looking at, that God made a covenant or an agreement with Abraham, promising that he would bless him and all nations through him. The call of Abraham was also a call to faith and obedience and in the sacrifice of Isaac. Not only do we see faith tested and affirmed, we glimpse the future blessing that is ours in Jesus. We're going to see the the testing of faith, and we're going to see the foreshadowing of Jesus. So we look at the test, which is a trusting of God, and the type, or what we call type, or a foreshadow, a prefiguring of our Savior that we see right here. The test. Now, how do we know that it's a test? Because it says it in verse (laughs) 1. Verse 1 says God tested Abraham. It's right there. And so the story that follows then is a, is a story that's full of a, a great deal of power and a great deal of pain, and, and it's very confusing, to be quite honest, but it's ultimately it's a promising story. The story is one of pain and power and prominence. As we've noticed, Abraham had waited a long, long time for the promise of a son. He was 100 years old, waiting for this heir to come to be the one through whom the blessing would come. He and Sarah had even gotten impatient at one point and had pushed God's program. And Sarah was the one who said, uh, go, go lay with my, my servant girl Hagar and have a child by her so that you will at least have a son because it doesn't look like it's happening with me, Abraham. And so Sarah gives him to her servant girl and that goes terribly wrong. She does have the son Ishmael through whom other generations have come. But still they were waiting for this child of promise and God continued to promise and this son Isaac came and this was the son that he loved dearly. He loved Isaac intensely. And now God, the God of love and the God of grace is asking him to sacrifice his son. Does that strike you as difficult and odd? (laughs) Child sacrifice was never part of the Hebrew system of worshiping God. It was quite common among some of the other groups around them, including the Canaanites with whom they would continue to battle and be tempted by. We don't sacrifice children, but Abraham, I'm asking you to present your child. Among a people who didn't do this, what would it look like? What would it look like that he'd waited a hundred years? He would look like a fool to be following through with this. And then, of course, the bigger question that all of us think is, what would Sarah think? (laughs) 
the mother of this child of promise. It was a painful and confusing situation when we get on the other side of it. All of God's promises were wrapped up in this kid. He had to live for the blessing to come. What kind of God would ask this? Is God that kind of a capricious God? That he would create and he would promise and bless and get it all the way to this point and say, and by the way, now you've got to give him up. Does God play games with us like that? Those are the kind of questions we're asking, by the way, in our study of this text. The struggle is one of emotional pain, and yet theologically there's these difficulties of what kind of God does this. It's powerful and it's frightening, actually, this moment. But as the story reads, Abraham Abraham moves forward. He moves forward with obedience. He's confident, even in this extremely weird and what seems like an unjust request, he believes God is at work, even in this. And the text tells then attention to the details of his preparation, of his travel, and he takes off without delay. He pressed on, no doubt his heart aching and breaking, and yet, let he, and yet he is relentlessly locked onto the belief that God was faithful and that he will do as he promised. It is really a testing of his faith. And a testing of faith does two things, really. First of all, a test proves that the faith is there, that you have faith, but it also strengthens faith. A test proves the faith is there, but it also strengthens faith. In the New Testament, in James chapter 1, James says these words that have been great comfort to some and caused great fear for others. <laughs> James says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Faith is matured through stressful testing. We know that faith is strengthened when it gets tested. Just as when we we test the limits of our own body, we know that our cardiovascular system can be strengthened through exercise. And we know that little phrase, no pain, no gain. I know this one through my own efforts to try to stay in shape at this age. But I also know the faith-strengthening kind of stress and testing that can come too, the things that really weigh heavy on us. And we say, God, do you want me to trust you even in this difficulty and, and this time? And God does strengthen our faith. But nothing like this. Nothing like what Abraham was called to do. So the test was evidence then of, of, a, of, of strength. And it's also evidence of a real and living faith, a faith that was being acted on. We looked at that some this summer when we talked about love, putting our love into action. James 2, 17 and 18 says, In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Someone will say, You have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. Abraham isn't just believing in his head that God is a good God. He is believing it by moving into action, saying, I will, I will act in trust of my God. And, and James actually, in this text after verses 17 and 18, actually uses Abraham himself and this story as an example. James uses Abraham as an example that his faith and his actions were working together and that his faith was made complete because it was acted on. Abraham truly believed that God was at work in this, that even if Isaac died, he would still somehow live. The writer to the Hebrews notes this in chapter 11. Some of you that are familiar with Hebrews chapter 11 know that we, we call it the Faith Hall of Fame. It's that chapter in Hebrews that talks about all these great heroes of the faith. 
And there the writer to the Hebrews says this, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promise was about to sacrifice his one and only son. And then it says this in verse 19 of Hebrews 11, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. The writer of the Hebrews interprets that Abraham believed that even if the son literally died, that he would receive him back and God would stay true to his promise. Faith is tested here. And finally then comes through the triumph and God does provide. It's a dramatic moment in, in the scripture when you read it when Abraham stands over the boy who he has tied up and put on a pile of wood that will be set on fire. Abraham with his hand raised to slay his son. It's hard to even say those words, isn't it? And then it says, but the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to harm him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham, Abraham, the name is repeated for urgency. Like, like don't follow through, Abraham. But then God provides this way then to spare Isaac. He withholds the hand and then, of course, the story moves on that Abraham looks into the thicket, and there is a ram. Abraham had already answered Isaac on their way up the mountain when Isaac said, where's the lamb for the the sacrifice? And Abraham says, God will provide. And God does provide the ram. And Abraham's faith wins. It's a triumph of God's timing, a triumph of God's provision, even with still some of these questions of why lurking there, right? And it's the faith of Abraham that is lifted up here. The trusting of God no matter what. Believing that God's plans are consistent and good. That he is not a capricious God who plays games with us. But a God who will love his people and bless his people. That's the test. The test that Abraham went through with his son Isaac. And it's a powerful story. But we can't help but see as followers of Jesus the type here. The type or the the foreshadowing of our Savior. Type is actually a a theological or a biblical interpretation word used in prophecy. It's a a model or a a hint, a foreshadowing of what's to come. And so the sacrifice of Isaac is a type of Christ. We'll see that again when we look at the the Passover and and, and what happened to Israel then. It's a a type of Christ and 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 the freedom from sin, of fleeing from Egypt. All these things are types that look forward. Another note at this point, uh, verse 2 says, go into the region of Mount Moriah. And you know where Mount Moriah is? It's actually what is Jerusalem. There was no Jerusalem at that time, but there was Mount Moriah. It's not a city yet, and it's the mount that they ascend for the sacrifice is what will become the mount where the temple would be. And 2 Chronicles 3.1 tells us that. It's not just an archaeological thing or a guess. 2 Chronicles 3.1 says that this is the mount of Moriah, where now the temple would be built and where today, in modern times, the Muslim Dome of the Rock sits. In fact, there's a picture of the Dome of the Rock. Some of you have been to Jerusalem and seen that. That's Mount Moriah. I'm told that even, uh, even though this is, a, is held by the, the mosque, there is a, a rocky outcropping apparently somewhere on the site there that is identified as the spot. Just as you can see, the spot where the crucifixion was, the spot where Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Not always sure, but there's there's something that draws attention to the Abraham and Isaac story there in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which became the center of a people's faith. Jerusalem, which became the place where the sacrifices happened in the, in the generations that had the temple there. 
the sacrifice that would take sins away, the sacrifice that always anticipated eventually a Messiah that would come. It all fits in the story. It all fits into the foreshadowing. And so we have in this story then the sacrifice of an only son. Yes, he had seven sons, but only one son of the promise. And while we establish that Isaac um, was, was not the only son, we believe that he is the one through whom God had made this covenant. And Abraham's depth of love for Isaac is paralleled in the depth of God's love for us in Jesus Christ. God loved his son. Abraham loved his son. And we, we just read through verse 14, or Damon read it for us this morning. But as we look ahead just a little bit to verses 16 and 18, we had to stop it somewhere, it's a long story. But in verses 16 to 18, we hear God speak of this sacrifice and the future blessing it makes possible. And it says this, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. You have responded and I will bless through you. The sacrifice of your only son will mean a blessing for others. And the fulfillment comes in one of the most familiar verses of Scripture in the New Testament, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. There is the blessing. The blessing of forgiveness and new life in Jesus Christ is looked forward to all the way back on Mount Moriah, the mountain of the Lord. The loving gift is foreshadowed in Jesus Christ. The loving gift is foreshadowed, but so is the substitution of the ram for Isaac. There's a substitute for sin that shows up in this story, which makes it all the more a a foreshadowing type of Christ. Jesus died in our place. We, We learn those words. Jesus died on the cross for my sins. We teach it to our children, and we say it before we even fully comprehend what it means. Jesus took on our sins on the cross so that we would not receive the punishment. Jesus took on the punishment himself that we would not die a spiritual death, but live forever. All of those words find their meaning all the way back here in this substitution. The ram died in Isaac's place. And just as the ram died in Isaac's place, so Jesus gave up his life, as the Gospel of Mark says, that he might give his life a ransom for many. He did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. He'll pay the price with his life to release us from our sins. He was who John the Baptist referred to as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the very first chapter of John's Gospel, it says the next day John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The substitution of Jesus in our place. And this all opened up the blessing and the blessing of life in Christ and hope. The world's a a better place. Isaac lives and the Hebrew nation grows. And another child of promise, the offspring of Abraham, Jesus was literally an offspring of Abraham, comes around at just the right time. As Paul says to the Galatians, at just the right time, God sent forth a son born of a virgin. But it all hinged here on Abraham's obedience. Some of you might know the name Leonard Sweet. Leonard Sweet is a contemporary theologian and writer, sometimes pushes the boundaries a little bit and creative in the way he teaches. 
but he tells of one of his students as a seminary student who received a, a, a ministry job or an appointment from a bishop, whatever system it was, I'm not sure which denomination, but they got a job. And the student did not feel that the placement exactly suited his abilities. Sweet reports overhearing him complaining about it to another seminary student. And then the other student said, well, you know, the world's a better place because Michelangelo Michelangelo did not say, I don't do ceilings. The world's a better place because Michelangelo said, I don't, did not say, I don't do ceilings. Sweet goes on and says, her comments stopped me dead in my tracks. I had to admit that she was right. If you and I are going to be faithful to the ministry God is calling us to, then we had better understand that. He says, I reflected on the attitudes of key people throughout scriptures and through church history. The world's a better place because a German monk named Martin Luther did not say, I don't do doors. The world's a better place because an Oxford Don named John Wesley did not say, I don't do preaching in fields. The world's a better place because Moses did not say, I don't do pharaohs and I don't do mass migrations. The world's a better place because Noah didn't say, I don't do arcs and I don't do animals. The world's a better place because Rahab didn't say, I don't do enemy spies. And the world's a better place because Ruth didn't say, I don't do mothers-in-law. The world's a better place because Samuel didn't say, I don't do mornings. The world's a better place because David didn't say, I don't do giants. The world's a better place because Peter didn't say, I don't do Gentiles. The world's a better place because John didn't say, I don't do deserts. The world's a better place because Mary didn't say, I don't do virgin births. The world's a better place because Paul didn't say, I don't do correspondence. (laughs) The world's a better place because Jesus said, I don't do crosses. And we can add that the world's a better place because Abraham didn't say, I don't do sacrifice. I won't obey. I won't trust God with my most Precious possession. It's a little bit what we did when we held it in our hands and said, God, I'm going to trust you even with this that I hold so tightly to sometimes. I will trust you with it. And it opens up the blessing. The blessing isn't just the good times. It isn't material wealth. It isn't God's... The blessing is life in Christ. The blessing is hope that we will not be destroyed because of our sins. The blessing is the grace of God that we, this morning at 9 o'clock, we found grace all the way back in the early chapters of Genesis. It wasn't a new thing with Jesus, but it was fulfilled in Jesus that we would be recipients of grace and live life of hope and truly the only hope for the world. So as we finish this morning, I just have a few questions here to test your own faith. We've been asked earlier, and I ask you to take it with you now. What in your life is most precious to you, and what would it look like to offer that to God and say, God, this is yours. Use it as you would. I trust you. Another question to ask ourselves is, where have you experienced the provisions of God? Where have you experienced God providing when it seemed like things were at a dead end? And then finally, I want to ask all of us as we pray in just a moment to consider your understanding the blessing of God. I know many of you, and I know your story. I've heard your story of a journey of faith that 
at one point, either as a child or came together later as an adult, to, to know what it meant to truly be in relationship with Jesus Christ. And not only know in your head that Christ forgave sins, but to have a deep experience of grace. But some perhaps have not made that choice. That belief is there and yet a commitment to Christ and to follow him into this blessing that's been provided is a choice that you can make. I encourage you to reflect on these things now as I pray and wrap this up before we sing. God, I invite you to send your spirit in a way that opens us up to to hear from your spirit, not to hear any more from me, but to hear from you. about our, our, our grasping of this, this promise, this blessing that comes in you, Jesus, and knowing and following you. Lord, if there's anybody here that has not made that step of saying, yes, God, yes, I know I need to give my life fully to you, I pray that you would work in a mighty way. And we thank you, Lord, that you have called us to be recipients of the blessing. We thank you for what you're teaching us in and through your word. In the name of your Son, we pray, amen.